What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Sports with BJ. I'm your host, Brandon Johnson of Sports with BJ. And again, I'm going to be joined here by my co-owner in our new sports media company, Sports Shift Media, JTZ, Jake Thomas. How are you doing tonight, man? Uh, doing good. Hit uh, uh, Back from a long weekend. Uh, for anybody that saw our post on Friday, I, I set off some fireworks and I do have all my fingers. So that's always good. Mm. Uh, our big... Our big holiday of setting off fireworks. Uh, I, uh, I just always hope that I make it through. So you were not the friend that there was a very popular meme going around the socials this this weekend. That was keep in mind this is the last year that someone you know will have ten fingers. Uh, yeah, that. <laughs> so uh, you are uh, not the person I know. Uh, I was actually talking to uh, the coffee shop that we're opening up here next month. Um, the guy that was setting up the security camps today, he was working on something about. Three, uh, two or three weeks ago, and he actually got his finger chopped off. So he he's like, I he's like, I'm the one that posted that meme like four years ago, and it just popped up on my timeline this weekend. But it, his did not happen because of fireworks, but it was still a pretty funny moment. He can laugh about it, so uh, it, it's not too bad. Well, good to know that everybody we know, two hosts combined, uh, have friends with all their digits left after the Fourth of July. So that's always a good thing. Uh, so you know how we like to do it here on Sports with BJ. We're going to talk about some of the some of the most popular sporting topics um, and a little bit of extra stuff as well. We're just a laid back atmosphere, no big deal. <laughs> but we got to pay homage to the sponsors. You see my new shirt, the Skinny Dip won a spoon. So, so yeah, Sports <laughs> with BJ is presented by the Skinny Dip. Uh, three convenient locations: uh, Hanbury Road, Providence Road, and Ghent. Mention Sports with BJ, get ten percent off your order. Ten percent. That's a lot of extra ice cream that you're getting for free. So make sure you mention us yeah, skinny dip out there on all those three locations. When I dip, you dip, we dip. So JT Shikari Richardson is in the news a lot since last Thursday. Um, I don't think anybody is unaware of why she had a positive <laughs> test for marijuana and that violates the, um, the international committee for the Olympics that violates their policy. So she has been given a 30 day suspension as per the rules and consequences laid out in their committee's rules. Where do we stand on that? Um, I'm, I mean, I know if you, if you've been on Twitter at all, or just checked internet uh, to hear, to look into this situation, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be on the side that not a lot of people are, but I, it, it's an awful thing that happened. Uh, I know that everything that went into it with uh, her mom passing away and trying to find some, some way to cope. Um, that was her reasoning behind it and totally understand that. Um, that it's always a tough situation, but at the end of the day that the rule is in place, um, she knew the rule and she even came out and said uh, she understood that the, the decision that she made um, was wrong. And it, she, it, she completely understood um, the suspension. It was just the internet getting mad after the fact. I, I just can't, uh, I can't be too mad about it because it is a rule and that's just how things work. Yeah. I mean, you and I kind of agree on this one. My, my philosophy with this is pretty simple. Do you agree that when rules are broken, there should be consequences? I mean, it's that simple. I think that a high majority of people would say, yes, if you break a rule, there should be a consequence. You could then get into conversations about does the punishment fit the crown, all that stuff. But that's not what we're doing here. 
What we're asking is a very simple question. Was there a rule in place that she was aware of? Yes. Did she break it? Yes. Did she get a fair consequence? I don't know. All I know is that there is a consequence. Mm-hmm. And she was assessed said consequence. And to be honest with you, I don't think a 30-day suspension by the Olympic Committee is all that bad. No, because at the end of the day, if if this would have happened a month ago, then she would have still been running in the in the Olympics. Like it's not like they banned her from the Olympics. She she could still go and run if the event happened after those thirty days. It's just the fact that it, the timing didn't work out, um, which is a bigger thing because we can talk about it here. Uh, I guess we can talk about it now. The fact that. Um, there's decisions being made. We're going to wait to see more about what happens, but there was breaking news a little bit ago that she was left off the, uh, the relay team. So that happens after the 30, 30 day suspension. So that'll be a question to see after everyone decides to come out and make comments about it. Um, what happens there, but right. it's just bad timing and a uh, terrible situation. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's, it's hard because, you know, she said the thing about her mom and her, well, her, I don't know why I don't know too much about the story, but I do see that they kept saying her biological mom, her biological mom. I don't know the story behind if the other mother's in their life, if she just, I don't know all mm-hmm. that, but and if, anytime you deal with a loss of someone in your life, people are going to react different ways. Okay. And sometimes it can go poorly. And she was very honest about that. I was looking for a way to cope with the pain and I made a bad decision. Simple as that. I always say you can tell a lot about the intent of the decision that was made based on how the person responds initially, not at, not when they've been coached up, not when they, you know, all this, when they initially respond, what's their reaction. And hers was one of understanding and culpability and desire to move forward. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she said it, it was a decision that I made it was against the rules. Um, you know, I understand the decision to suspend me and I look forward to the next, to the next opportunity to compete. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's pure ownership. So, and, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, um, in the pre-show meeting. I think we have a, we, we sometimes struggle with directing our anger at the right thing. I think, I, I think if you polled a lot of people and posed the question this way, are you mad that are you upset that Shikari Richardson was suspended for a negative drug test? Or are you upset that that rule exists? Mm -hmm. I think the majority of people given those two options would pick. It's dumb that it exists. Yeah. Like at this particular point where we're at in 2021 for weed to be a banned substance for a sprinter, there's no performance edge to it, all that stuff. I think that's really what we're upset about the only thing we tangibly see is the consequence that she has to now serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, anything that involves uh, weed, uh, whether it be in sports or outside of sports, it's always going to be a hot button issue. So right. you're going to get everyone coming out of the woodwork to make their comment on it, no matter what the circumstance is. If, if this was any sort of any other drug, I think if this was, performance enhancing drugs, it would be completely different. But if this was even any other recreational drug, then I I don't think it gets this much attention. It's just the fact that uh, pretty much everyone has a stance on weed one way or the other that is very far one way. There's not too many people that are in the middle. So you're always going to get a lot of attention. 
out of stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, that's well said. And I think that's it is a very polarizing subject for sure. Um, so but yeah, I think at the end of the day, we agree. And the simple the simple nature of it is there was a rule. It was broken. Consequences had to be passed down. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely I definitely and I definitely see the side of things where people want to say. Why is it a rule to begin with? But yeah, that, that's maybe a topic for uh, another podcast or off season <laughs> there. But uh, we'll move on from that. Another another trending news topic in the in the media world. Rachel Nichols in, in a little bit of hot water. Um, not so much. I mean, she was just removed from the NBA finals as a sideline reporter, which I think was a, a pretty quick and swift punishment doled out there by ESPN. But Jake, did you follow this story at all today? So I, so it came out, uh, that came out Sunday night, right? I believe uh, that that, I'm video not dropped. sure. The first time I heard about it was this morning. So I could have just been off. I, I would, whenever it happened, I saw it on Twitter, um, but I was a little busy with the uh, Fourth of July festivities, and I didn't get to listen to the audio. Um, mm-hmm. I heard like a, a short, like fifteen second clip, and that's all I've heard. But I've always obviously read into it and know what's going on. But uh, wild stuff going on over at ESPN. Yeah. So to catch everybody up, um, Rachel Nichols was on a private phone call. Um, and it was a zoom call as it, or some sort Google teams, whatever, Microsoft teams, whatever, some sort of video conference call, but it was a private one, not for work, not for ESPN. And she forgot that they were still at the recorded part, uh, which to me doesn't really matter. Um, I, I yeah, like to have a I conversation mean, with the person that leaked it. <laughs> like, yeah. That's she needs to have a conversation. That person might not be as close to you as you think they were for because it was a private phone call. So someone in her private life, one could assume, leaked it out. But they were talking about the rise of Maria Taylor and the, I guess, new new ventures that ESPN is going to be taking her down or considering taking her down. Um, And some of them, I guess, crossed over into the basketball world and could threaten Rachel Nichols from all the reports I'm reading. I don't know the fact on that. What I do know is the quotes I have. So with that background, here is the quote from Maria or from uh, Rachel Nichols. I wish I wish Maria Taylor all the success and successes in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your crappy longtime record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, just go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You're not going to find sympathy from me or taking my thing away. That was the quote from Maria Taylor. And essentially what she did in that quote was she used Maria Taylor's success and growing stardom as the linchpin of basically calling ESP out for trying to replace her um, due to ESPN's diversification issues, historically speaking, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what's going on with, with Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. Um, I did see an updated report that Rachel reached out to apologize with messages and voicemails. And as of about four o'clock uh, this eve, this afternoon, none have been returned. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I think that both of them are great at their job. 
And I don't think, I, I really don't think that Maria Taylor getting all the opportunities that she's gotten has anything to do with ESPN trying to diversify. I think she is just really good at what she does. And I mean, I think that Rachel Nichols feels a little threatened by that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I think she knows the inner workings of ESPN probably better than a lot of people and was taking it as a chance to to take a shot at them. But there's no reason to uh, because she talks about diversity all the time, uh, like in in the female side of things. Mm -hmm. So if you're so into diversity, I don't know why you would ever take a shot at someone else that's seen the same struggles that you have. I think if I'm not mistaken, the rumor that she's referring to is the rumor that Maria Taylor was being considered as a host for NBA, the NBA, the jump which is Rachel Nichols's show. Well, I, I mean, my answer to Rachel Nichols would be uh, just keep grinding and like do your thing. Cause I, I don't see any reason why that like the ratings are so good for that show. I, I think that's just a rumor and I don't think there was ever any threat of her losing her position because she's done nothing to lose that spot. I like, maybe there are inner rumblings, but I, I just yeah. don't see I think they could find other things for Maria Taylor to be a part of without taking Rachel Nichols spot. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where it was. Um, I think that it was just, I think she was speaking in jest. Like let's say you've got a job and you're really, really good at your job mm-hmm. and you know that you're really good at your job and you're probably really secure in your job, but in comes this young kid who maybe has his or her master's, maybe has his or her doctorate or whatever, but is has a lot of buzz about them because of the growth and the path they've been on at the company so far. Mm-hmm. I can see talking and I can see talking amongst friends in a private setting, saying something to the effect of, look, if they want to bring young kids up and do whatever, that's great. More power to him. I hope he does well. They just better not take any of my responsibilities away or touch my pay because of it. I can see that being the context with mm-hmm. which Rachel said what she said still doesn't make it right though. Yeah. yeah. It's it still, uh, I, I still am not surprised that uh, Maria Taylor's not getting back to her on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, why, I mean, I guess there's other ones. I mean, you've got Malika Andrews that's coming up and she actually funny enough replaced Rachel Nichols um, as the NBA final sideline reporter. That was her punishment was she was no longer able to be, which is really one of her mainstays is the, you know, the NBA final sideline reporting. And I know her from March Madness. She does a great job for, uh, for, for all those companies that she works for. Um, but they let her stay on the jump. So they didn't suspend her from the jump. They just said, Hey, you're off the finals, which in her world and as big as a fan of basketball, she is probably that, that one hurts sucked. Yeah. 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 But no, no need to take a shot at Maria Taylor. Yeah, I mean we're we're all uh, we're all allies here. We they they gotta they gotta try to stick together there. Yeah. So early, early I know, but there was some big news in the college basketball world this afternoon. Um, one of what I thought was one of the top prospects, um, Kofi Coburn out of Illinois, officially withdrew his name from the NBA draft today. And um, has decided that he's going to go back to school, but he doesn't know if he's going to go back to Illinois. (laughs) 
So his uh, his boy Io is not there. He he's not sure if he wants to play if that if that's not his point guard. Yeah, and um, that was that was kind of surprising to me. Um, But here we are in June in July talking about college basketball because this is huge. Kofi Coburn was a force Mm -hmm. every year. I mean, you never really had to worry about his production. It was always what Io was going to do. Yeah. Um, and some of the schools he listed, um, North Carolina was in there, uh, or Arizona was in there, and I think uh, Kansas was in there. So he's looking to go somewhere big. Uh, so I, a lot of the rumors I heard was that Kentucky is kind of leading the charge mm-hmm. uh, of that list. Um, I, I That one doesn't – I mean, I know that Calipari is always going to find a way to make things work. Um, just to get his guys to the NBA, but you already have West Virginia transfer Oscar Shibwe in there, and mm-hmm. he's a big guy that can't really spread the floor. Um, Kofi, I mean, he he can extend out a little bit, um, and I'm pretty sure there's one other big guy, another five star guy that's already at Kentucky. So you right. three big guys trying to rotate in. Calipari's good, but that's a tough thing to do is to try to figure out how to rotate. Uh, five-star big men. Yeah, and so my thought on that was when when I read that Kentucky was the front runner, I said, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense because of something you said. I think the day I think he's almost too big to be able to be in the NBA. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like he is a pure center, which yeah. there's not a lot of room for in the NBA. I mean, save a handful of players. It just, you don't see it. So you need to be a stretch five is really what you need Kofi Coburn to be. Mm-hmm. So now he knows he's gotten his draft feedback, which this is a normal process. The, the crazy thing to me is I still thought he was actually a pretty high prospect. It's not like he got there and he was losing draft stock. Mm-hmm. I think he just quickly realized I need to improve a certain aspect of my game. Yeah. And I think he wants to work on that outside game. And what better coach in college to go spend another year with developing in an NBA type system where he can utilize that and help him grow than, than John Calipari. Yeah. Uh, you're right on that. So if that's the goal is to try to uh, extend his range and fit into a system where he can be on the outside more, then you're right. That, that probably is, the best decision. I'm still just interested to see how that would work. Um, Cause I know Shibwe on the floor with Culver at the same time didn't really work. And that's why he transferred out. Um, so adding in Coburn, that that's another big guy that clogs up the paint. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, but what do you think about if, if he, if, if he gets a good off season with, with Kentucky and John Calipari and working with all that NBA level coaching talent that Calipari keeps in his camp, what do you think? Do you think there's a possibility that he could get effective enough to actually play the four at the same time as um, the other gentleman whose name has just left my head? Uh, it, are you talking about Shibway? Yeah. Uh, That's it. it. It's possible. Uh, I think that could be. I think that if, Co- if Kofi Coburn, if he goes – if he goes to any school and gets a consistent 15 foot jumper, even can maybe extend out uh, to the three point line. I think he's a top 10, potentially top five pick. He's that dominant on the inside, uh, both on the offense and defensive end. 
that he could be a very good player in the NBA if he just uh, adds that one uh, one little extra thing to his repertoire. Yeah. I mean, man, it's hard because you, you look at it and I just I've seen John Calipari do a lot. I like I feel like he did the same thing when they had Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Mm-hmm. Like Anthony Davis is six ten, Michael Kidd Gilchrist is six seven. They're both bigger. I know Michael Kidd Gilchrist. When when I'm saying that was not as big as Kofi. What I'm saying is that I that that system worked. You still had two really big bodies that could go inside. But Anthony Davis was obviously going to take up a lot of space. Yeah. And he made that work so well to a national championship. I believe that team also ran a little bit of uh, hockey lines, basically. I'm pretty pretty sure that a a lot of the times they weren't even on the floor together because that's one thing is every once in a while, Calipari builds up these teams with rosters that are nine or ten deep. And Mm -hmm. they they just send in – they beat you in waves. So that class of 2011 for Kentucky had Anthony Davis, the number one overall player that year. Uh, my, we're talking about college recruiting. So this is the, the class itself that got recruited. Okay. Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who was the nation's consensus number one small forward, and Marcus Teague, who was the nation's number one point guard. Mm-hmm. They actually lost Brandon Knight that year, the year before. And Brandon Knight was a great college guard. A great college player. And that ended up getting him drafted, what, seventh overall, sixth overall? Yeah. So you get those guys in, and now you're left with a roster of Darius Miller, Terrence Jones, John Hood, Jared Polson, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Deron Lamb, Anthony Davis, Marcus Teague, and Kyle Vittner. Hmm. That was the 2012 roster. That, that's a lot of college names that were really good that uh, a lot of them didn't end up living up to the hype in the NBA, but that, that, that was a great college roster. Yeah, it was. And that was a that was a weird season for them because that was the season that they only lost three games all year, but the games they lost were head scratchers. They lost um, at Indiana that year. Indiana was not ranked. That was early on, wasn't it? That Wasn't that a it buzzer under, by yeah. Indiana? It was on December 10th. That it was 72-73. Yep. I remember that. That was uh, Indiana went nuts because that's when they were still trying yeah. to rebuild and beating Kentucky was a big thing. Yeah, which earlier I remember that year was was fun because they played Old Dominion, which for those of y'all that watch the show and know, I'm down here in Virginia in Chesapeake. I'm only a rock skip throw across from Norfolk. So Old Dominion that year took them to the wire. They only beat ODU mm. by 10 that year, and that was on November 20th. And everyone knows, everyone knows the hype that was coming around that team going into that year as the number one team preseason. Mm-hmm. And so they go and they do their thing. They have that early December 10th stumble, and then they don't lose again until the SEC championship game against Vanderbilt. Huh. Then they go and they go 6-0, and uh and cut down the nets cut down the nets beating beating kansas that that is the third time that year who was the third loss they didn't have a third loss that was the second time they had played so they actually in the champions classic that year which of course is always michigan state duke 
Kansas, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes they'll throw in UNC. I think there's rotation teams. I don't know how it works, but they played them and Kansas was number 12 preseason that year. They played them in the champions classic on November 15th of 2011 and beat them by 10 and then played them again for the national championship. And they won by eight. So pretty consistently better there. Yeah. I I mean, it'll be interesting to see, uh, Kentucky wasn't great last year. Um, so they add a bunch of pieces this year and, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of talent on that roster. It's just whether they can figure it out and, uh, uh, get get back to the postseason. Yeah, and one thing that you can guarantee on with John Calipari, it will be interesting, mm-hmm. and that means we'll be watching. So yeah, yeah. they're they're not getting away uh, out of the news. Uh, no matter what, uh, that Kentucky blue and white is going to be somewhere on Sports Center's top news. Absolutely, and you know we've got plenty of time to get ready for college basketball and talk <laughs> about that. So just consider that a little teaser, a little teaser for y'all uh, before we get back to press break, which is our other podcast, the college basketball only podcast. June was a great month for us. We formed a business, we did that partnership, and Sports Shift Media has been alive and well uh, and growing rapidly. So thank y'all for all mm-hmm. your support out there that have taken the transition, at least as Sports with BJ into Sports Shift Media. Very much appreciative. Um, But I would venture to say that as great as the month of June we had, it was not as good as Kyle Schwarber's. Uh, That that is true. It's it's very hard to beat that uh, that type of month. So here's here's what I'm going to use to start the conversation. There's two little tidbits about that run that really just stuck out to me. So he finished June with 16 home runs. He had four multi home run games which is one of the greatest power streaks in major league history. Mm-hmm. Not, not very many people have had a streak, a power streak that long. So that was fun for me, but here's the one that stuck out to me the most. Schwarber didn't hit his first home run during that streak until June 12th, all 16, all those stats that he put together came in an 18 game stretch, which has only happened twice before once by Sammy Sosa in 98 and again by Barry Bonds in 2001. That yeah. stat right there blew my mind. I mean, that is crazy because that is two of the best statistical seasons. I mean, 98, obviously, Sosa got beat out by McGuire, but that's the that's the home run race that that saved baseball. Right. Um, so, so Sosa was right there with McGuire, and then Barry Bonds, obviously, 2001, uh, is his rec- record-setting year. So... What Kyle Schwarber did in what is it? Eighteen games, eighteen yeah. games, just eighteen games. Yeah, yeah sixteen that, home runs. Uh, that's an insane stretch. Uh, uh, four four multi home run games. I uh, I mean you don't you don't think of uh, that's one of those stats that is just going to be like 20, 30 years down the road, you're going to pop up. I know it happens all the time with baseball, not so much other sports, but SportsCenter or ESPN will throw up a graphic and it'll be some of the greatest names of all time. And then there's always one name mixed in there because somebody just gets hot and goes mm-hmm. on a run and stuff like that happens. It's pretty crazy. And that's going to be Kyle Schwarber. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, I mean, he's already cemented his place in history. He helped the Cubbies win a World Series. Now he's going to be on one of the most prestigious lists 
in hitting. I mean, when you look at this list and you think about what it is that they're doing, think about the RBI implications. I mean, there was one game where I'm, I'm going to say three, but I think it might have actually been four. One of those multi-home run games, he had four plate appearances and hit a home run in in all four at-bats, at least three, if that's the stat. Um, the craziest thing about it, though, he did it from the leadoff spot. Is he hitting? He didn't lead off for them. So he did not. But was is Dave Roberts? Dave Roberts is the manager, right? Mm-hmm. Dave Roberts said, middle of June, when all this started, he wanted to shake things up and try something to see if he could get the offense going. Yeah. So he smoothed Kyle Schwarber to lead off. 16 home runs in 18 games later, and the Nats are right in the thick of the playoff hunt. Uh, so you may not know um, the answer to this, but do you know how many of those home runs are first inning home runs then? Has he had a bunch of leadoff? One would think he would have had to have to hit 16 home runs in 18 games. I mean, you yeah. figure eight, you're eight, an average baseball player who leads off will get three trips to the plate in an MLB game. Something like that. So 18 times three is what, 54? So we'll say 50, we'll say 60 at bats. 16 of them were home runs. I would think that probably five. Uh, okay. Because yeah, I mean, that's a great way to start things off. Because <coughs> you know, most pitchers. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, but it, the most pitchers want to get started by just throwing fastballs, getting you, uh, getting you out early with the hard stuff. So if you're sitting fastball early on that, that's an easy way to rip one out of the ballpark. Yeah. I mean, some fun sets an article and give the people oh. whose it is. Cause this yeah. article was fun to go through. Um, it's by f- uh, the USA today. Um, and it says it's, for the win, but it's definitely off the USA Today sports website. So shout out to the USA Today um, and particularly Charles Curtis, who wrote this um, this article on June 30th. So the title is eight jaw dropping jaw. I'd love to be able to talk eight jaw dropping <laughs> stats about Kyle Schwarber's home run binge. Uh, he hit more home runs than a lot of teams. Kyle Schwarber hit as many or more home runs than the Mets, Tigers, Marlins, Royals, Phillies, Reds, Pirates, Cardinals, D-backs, and White Sox. No, I mean, that's, that's since June 12th. <laughs> and keep in mind, this this was the month of June, and he started June 12th. Yeah. Um, he'll enter June 30th, having hit 16 dingers in 18 games. That ties himself with some of the greats. We already talked about that stat. Um, he hit a lot of leadoff homers. Seven. Okay. Yeah, that's seven leadoff homers in eighteen games. So seven of his sixteen home runs. I, I think that makes sense with kind of what we were saying there. That mm-hmm. it it uh, it takes a special person to hit leadoff, um, but he obviously is the right man for the job. Yeah. So even more crazy. So sixteen home runs in eighteen games sounds pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Twelve of his homers came in a ten game stretch. <laughs> So he hit 12 home runs in 10 games during that 18 game stretch. Um, he had 75 most home runs in a 75. He only had 75 plate appearances during that time. So mm-hmm. the most home runs in a 75 plate 
appearance span in MLB history. Kyle Schwarber, 16. Barry Bonds, 15. Mark McGuire, 15. Sammy Sosa, 15. So that was a fun one. Um, Only one player has hit 12 home runs in 10 games like he did. Um, Doesn't say who it is. That's kind of messed up. (laughs) Um, Then something else. Kyle Schwarber's at, so this was on June 29th at the conclusion of their game or after, I'm sorry, this was at, after his first at bat on the June 29th game, his past 36 base hits, 18 of them were singles, 18 of them were home runs. Wow. So the dude, it's, it's not like he was home run or bust. Like that's what I'm saying. That streak, like he was on base too. It wasn't home run or nothing. Mm-hmm. Kyle Schwarber, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he, Oh, I wonder what I'm pulling it up now. I had it pulled up. So, so the Nationals are now sitting second in the division. I know at one point they were down in the basement of that division, fighting with Miami for the bottom spot. But now they sit four games back of the Mets, and now they take on San Diego uh, the next couple games. But I'm interested to see what is his batting average sitting at right now. He didn't play in the last game. Like for the season? Yeah. Um, let's see. Um it looks like this year he's batting two fifty three. Two fifty three. So I mean that's solid considering when he played for the Cubs, he batted one eighty eight, two fifty, two thirty eight, two eleven, and two forty six. So Yeah. He- yeah, this I mean, is one of his best seasons. His career play. batting average is 233. Yeah. So he, uh, I guess he strained his hamstring in the Dodgers series. Yeah. He was pulled on Friday night's game. He did something, uh, yeah, something to his hamstring. Hopefully he can get back to going. I, I was going to ask, uh, I hadn't looked at the standings recently. I was going to ask if he was going to get moved uh, to a contender, but I guess they are a contender now. I was still thinking <laughs> that they were third or fourth in that division, but uh, they're, they're right there with the rest of the team. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, this run that they were on really, really helped them in the playoff run. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to look here. So we said it, his first home run was June 12th. So on June 12th, they were 26 and 34 on June 30th. They were 40 and 38. <laughs> yeah. I, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's they went from 26 and 34. They only lost four games in Kyle Schwarber's stretch because, yeah, they were. Yeah. On Saturday, June, June 12th, they were 26 and 34 and they finished June 30th, 40 and 38. That's a crazy stretch. Hopefully, uh, I guess uh, their one thing is uh, hopefully they can. Uh, July didn't start off as well. That I saw they got swept by the Dodgers, but hopefully they, they can turn it around. Uh, the Dodgers are a good team, so they they've are. got some easier competition coming up. So they yeah. can continue their winning ways. So the Dodgers do hand them those four losses. Now they're sitting, but then they bounce back and they beat the Padres mm-hmm. uh, on Monday. So they're sitting at forty-one and forty-two, which is fine. Um, but that LA Dodgers series, if y'all want to benchmark for where the net, this Nationals team is, granted, Chorba was out. Okay, I get it. But two to six, five to ten, three to five, and one to five. Y'all aren't even in like the ballpark. 
No, I mean, pun intended. Well, like, I mean, <laughs> like, and y'all didn't even have to face Trevor Bauer. The, there are, I would say that this year in baseball, there's still, um, some years are different than others, but I would say that this is a year where there's probably three or four teams that realistically, there's only about three or four teams that have a chance of winning it all. Yeah. And I mean, the Dodgers are there, the Padres are there. Um, so that's probably, I, I hope that ends up being your NL championship series. Yeah. If somehow they get, uh, if they wind up on the same side, that's just a travesty. They deserve the seven game series to decide it all um, going to the World Series, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I hope Kyle Schwarber can get back in the lineup because the Nats are in the thick of things, but apparently not if he's not swinging the bat. <laughs> so hopefully he comes back soon. But with that Kyle Schwarber news, that's everything on our list tonight. So I think we can call that another episode of Sports with BJ unless JT has something left for us. Um, I, I just was wondering before we wrap things up, uh, a, a little bit of a gambling insert uh, and also just to kind of talk about the, the big game tonight. Really today, uh, sports as a whole, what well, was really popping off today. We, we have the match later on. There's game one of the NBA finals, which is what I wanted to talk about. But for all the soccer fans, Euro 2020, the semifinal between Italy and France, or I mean, Italy and Spain today went to PKs. That was a great mm. game. I think you've got 14 baseball games and Wimbledon going on. The dog days of summer mm. are popping off. There's a lot, a lot actually going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And I can't believe we were about to end a sports show by not talking about the NBA finals. So thank you, JT, <laughs> for calling me out. Yeah, game one here. Who's it bigger for? Who, I mean, is it, does it mean more to Giannis's legacy? And I, you know what? I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to say legacy because to talk about that right now is so dumb. <laughs> but does, who does, who does a finals win do more for here? Chris Paul, who's already had a decorated career, or Giannis, who's had an early success career, but hasn't been able to get the big one? I believe that uh, the Bucks just making the finals. I think uh, puts a little bit of ease on Giannis's back because mm. I know a lot of the talk recently was that they've been this great team for the last couple of years, but then they haven't been able to get out of the second round. So the fact that they were able to get over that hump and then get over the hump again of winning the conference finals, mainly uh, without him in the lineup for most of that series, uh, I think that does a lot for him. And he, he kind of can live off of that for a little bit. Chris Paul, I think with a win, I think that might put him in the top five point guards of all time discussion. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, he's already there. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not part of the camp that thinks that someone has to have a championship to be in the conversation of doing something. Because at the end of the day, what are you really saying? If you say that someone has to have a championship, then what you need to say is they're the greatest of all time with a championship. Well, you need so, to separate it out. So, yeah, I guess get, getting this team to the finals really was a big part. I think Chris Paul just being able to put four series wins in a row is the big thing. Not necessarily winning a championship, but he's never been able to complete a, a playoffs run. Like, there's always a moment where Chris Paul hits a wall mm -hmm. and he either gets injured or he doesn't perform at the level that he had previously the, the like there's a lot of the time he's the reason that his teams go down at the end of the uh, in 
the playoffs. So yeah. I think him being able to finish it off is really the thing. I wasn't trying to say that he necessarily needs a championship when you look back at his stats. It's just that part of it that I think would help him. Yeah, and I wasn't, that comment wasn't directed at you. That just struck, like, I hate that conversation as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, like, I know that's not what you were saying. It just, I got sidetracked in my own mind and just went <laughs> off on a tangent. Because um, at the end of the day, like I said, I think he's a top five point guard without it. Like, I don't think you have to throw that championship in there to cement that. Um, so, so quick off the top of your head, who who are your top five point guards? Uh, number one of all time will be John Stockton, hands down. Um, then I'm going to go Magic. Then I'm going to go IT. Then I'm going to go Steve Nash and then Chris Paul. Okay. The, so there is a debate in there of whether you consider Oscar. Oscar Robertson was a point guard that kind of – he was like the, the first one of the stretch point guards, I believe, because I believe he mm. was a bigger guy. And uh, I know that he he's one of the older guys on the list, but I that's kind of the one that I'm competing with Chris Paul right here is that Oscar has a bunch of uh, stats, if you look back at it, that he could be put in that five – that he's yeah. the one that I'm kind of com- that I'm kind of questioning, and see that makes sense now that we've talked about it. Because for me, if you said you've got to count Oscar Robinson as a point guard, I would actually take it out. Okay, yeah, I would. I, that's what I mean when I say Chris Paul's still my number five point guard of our time, regardless. Like because my my replaceable point guard in my list is Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean Chris Paul has already done so much. I feel like. My heart wants the Bucks to lose because I hate that they traded Brogdon away. <laughs> like I just absolutely hate that. And and the thing that makes me upset is who they. It seemed obvious that they chose Chris Middleton over Malcolm Brogdon, and I get it. Chris Middleton is more of a scorer, scoring guard, or mm-hmm. a scoring two guard than Brogdon was. But I feel like. Giannis has kind of been on a decline because now you don't have anybody that can, can, can like facilitate an entire offense. Yeah. That, I mean, that has been one of the biggest complaints these last couple of years is that Giannis has had to play more of a point guard role. And there is when Giannis has the ball in his hands at the top of the key, there is a defense that can stop it him. And that is pack the paint. Right. So you need that more of a facilitating point guard type of player to kind of get everybody else involved. So I, I agree with you there. But I mean, at the same time in a catch 22 situation in my heart, I'm also thankful to the bucks because that allowed Brogdon to go. And there was always this stigma would, would Brogdon have been as good as he was early in his career if he hadn't had Giannis mm-hmm. by his side. And I love that he went to Indiana this year and showed out. I lo- or this is his second year. It's either his first or his second uh, year. It's a second year in Indiana. But he had an amazing year. Um, and I was and he had a good decent year last year. He didn't do anything last year that he didn't do at Indy at uh, Milwaukee. So like I'm I'm actually really glad that they let him go so that the NBA could see, all right, like this dude is actually for real, doesn't matter. Because who does he have it? I mean, he's got Sabonis. Is Sabonis at Indiana? Uh, yes. Um I mean, who do they really have? Up. Trying to think of who else is on that team. I, I I couldn't tell you to be honest. Indiana, the Indiana Pacers is not a team that uh, sticks in my mind very often. No, but I watched them a lot this year because of my boy Brogdon. So um, so so it's Brogdon, 
Carrie Levert, uh, Sabonis, McDermott, Miles Turner, uh, so they're T- like TJ McConnell. So outside of maybe McConnell, it's Brogdon and Sabonis and some some younger role players. Yep. I mean Miles Turner. Uh, was Miles a great Turner. Player. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. So that's their big three, if you will, is Malcolm oh, Brogdon, Demontis um, Sabonis, and Caris. Caris Levert was hurt all year though, wasn't he? And, and TJ Warren. They were both, both of those hurt. guys. TJ Warren was hurt too, which he showed out in uh, Phoenix mm-hmm. the, the last couple of years, and then he went to Indiana. So another team that's on my poo poo list because they traded away my boy Ty Jerome, and I hated that. But then at the same time, look at the look at the second half of the season he had with Oklahoma City. I, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I know that Virginia has come has become one of my favorite teams since we've since we talk about them all the time. But uh, I just like watching all their games so that we could talk about it. Uh, they they are uh, one of the teams that I will sit down and watch um, so that so we can talk about it. But I was happy to see him get traded from Phoenix because that gave room for Javon Carter. That they were kind of fighting for point guard minutes, and yeah. I mean campaign has now taken that away. But Carter got a lot of minutes during the season. So I liked that, and for that reason, I'm picking Phoenix just because uh, I don't think since Jerry West, I don't know if a West Virginia uh, player has won a title. I guess right. De- Devin Ebanks might have won one with the Lakers, but uh, well, if if the common denominator here for your guy getting success and my guy getting success is that the same team did the did something with them, mm-hmm. I guess. I guess that gives me a reason to on to to go with Phoenix. Yeah, I, I, but I, you know, I wanted them to win anyway for Chris Paul, like I do, and I love Devin Booker. I, yeah. I really like him. Yeah, I, I I've been on the Devin Booker train since he uh, graduated or since he left Kentucky, mm-hmm. went to the draft. I said I believe there's a take from about four years ago that I didn't get on recording anywhere. But I said that the Suns are one of the uh, up and coming teams and are going to be a contender. But that was about four years ago, and they they followed that up by finishing last in the whole NBA the following year, hmm. and then I believe finished thirteenth in the West after that. And then last year they finally made the playoffs, uh, or they made the bubble playoffs, didn't end, end up squeaking through. But my take took about four years to finally come true. But we're finally here. So that, that's another reason why I got to stick with the Suns. I love that. So we can say that JT called it. And, you know, all good things take time, JT. Mm-hmm. All good yep. things take time. So yeah. you were just waiting for your plan to unfoil. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I guess the cool thing about this finals, and people are projecting it'll probably be one of the least viewed finals of all time. I'll be honest, I'll be flipping back and forth tonight because I'm going to finish watching the match, which started at 530 and has just been the first three holes were the most I've laughed at a golf event in a very long time. <laughs> like Phil Mickelson is on a roll with his stingers. Bryson's all up in his head. Aaron Rodgers doesn't like Bryson, but he has to play 18 holes with him and pretend to be his partner. Like it's just amazing television. So I'll be flipping mm-hmm. back and forth, but I liked it when we got to the conference semifinals on both sides, it meant that no matter what one NBA franchise will be winning their first ever title. Yeah. And, and a that's lot, pretty and- cool and a lot of upcoming stars that are going to win their first title. So that is the cool part. Uh, the, the NBA playoffs are actually looking at it. They, 
they're one of the most viewed playoffs in the last like five years. So I think that a lot of people see Phoenix and Milwaukee and like, and they're like, ah, I'm not watching that. But the NBA fans, I think we're tired of the same teams making it every year. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of fans coming out and supporting this year. Now that there's different teams in it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it'll be fun to watch for that. Um, and, and I guess whoever wins is really, yeah, I'm okay with, I don't, I don't have a reason to hate Milwaukee. Um, I just have a personal vendetta, so that's not the same <laughs> as hate. So either way, but I'm, I'm really would like to see Phoenix get it and we'll just see how it plays out. Game one of the finals tonight, nine 30, I believe, mm-hmm. um, the matches on TNT, that coverage goes until 11. Like JT said, we got Wimbledon. We got a lot going on in sports right now. OTA started. We got to figure out what Aaron Rodgers is going to do from what I saw. He's not going to be playing a lot of golf. Um, but we'll see how everything rolls out. And we'll be here with you every Tuesday at seven 30 along the way. So keep it tuned to sports shift media. Make sure you check out their website. That's where you're going to find all of our podcasts. Uh, make sure you go get skinny dip Hanbury Providence road and Ghent down in Norfolk Mention the podcast, 10% off. Enjoy the summer ice cream that they provide there with all the toppings you can get and, and all the stuff that they have there, new waffle cones. And I think they actually, one of the locations I saw a dipped waffle cone. Uh, you're making me hungry for some ice cream. <laughs> I know. I think I'm going to actually go down the street and get some, but <laughs> we'll let you keep, we'll update you on that. See if I get some skinny dip, but for JT, I'm Brandon with sports with BJ. This has been another episode of sports with BJ. Thanks for listening. <laughs>